And welcome to Behind the Investigation. I'm Chief Investigator Brendan Keefe, and I'm joined now by investigative reporter Rachel Polanski, who is on an issue and a topic right now uh, that really reaches a lot of residents, particularly in Metro Atlanta, because if you want to buy a home in pretty much any neighborhood in Metro Atlanta, you are looking, particularly in the suburbs, at having to join an HOA, whether you like it or not. First, Rachel, what is an HOA? What does it stand for? And what does it mean compared to a neighborhood that doesn't have one? Absolutely. So an HOA is a homeowners association. So HOA, homeowners association. And basically, um, an HOA can consist of individual houses, townhomes, or condos. And uh, the homeowners pay a fee to the association to maintain their neighborhood. Now, depending on your HOA, the responsibilities of that association can vary. It could be just maintaining the community swimming pool and fitness center, or it could be managing the entire property. Um, they could have as much power to turn off your water, uh, which is an issue we'll be talking about. Uh, so these HOAs can really wield a lot of power over you and your neighbors. Okay, so a homeowners association sounds like a club or, so, oh, isn't it great? A homeowners association, sort of like the PTA, but it's for my home. But in reality, it's really like a micro-government, isn't it? Where it, yeah. they have rules and regulations that are fully enforceable um, and, you know, they can essentially tell you what to do with your own property. Those are called covenants, right? And, and when you buy a home in an HOA, you're essentially signing on to those covenants, which means you're agreeing to be bound by them, right? Yeah, you are. You're signing into a legally binding contract. Um, and a lot of people don't even read the covenants, which is why one of the big takeaways of this investigation is read the covenants and read the bylaws, um, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, the HOA, if I don't pay my dues, maybe they'll stop, you know, mowing the grass or something like that or take away my access to the to the swimming pool. But if you look through the covenants, depending on your HOA, of course, but they have a lot of power and they could turn off your water. They could hit you with um, a lien or a lawsuit if you don't follow these rules. Um, and so it's really important that people do their due diligence read and review the bylaws and read and review the covenants and make sure you're okay with it before you buy in an HOA community. That's right. So they can issue fines and yep. they can also, if you don't pay those fines or fees, they can put a lien on your house, which essentially means the HOA gets paid when you sell your house. And it can even make it more difficult to sell your house because when you owe the HOA money, the buyer's, you know, essentially bank may not issue a loan if they know there's these outstanding uh, payments and fees. Right. And of course, that's the worst case scenario, but it does happen. Um, more likely what they'll do if you don't pay your dues for a certain amount of time, they'll turn you over to collections, which um, also is is a big deal because you might think you owe, you know, $700 in fees and maybe $120 in late fees, which is um, the exact example of someone we talked to in our investigation. Uh, but once they turn her over to collections, all of a sudden there's $2,000 in attorney fees. There's $1,500 in collection fees. And suddenly that $700 bill is now $4,000. Uh, so this can happen pretty quickly. And again, homeowners are basically powerless if if they don't follow these rules. And they, they you know, a lot of times, like in talking with attorneys about this, they say it's a tragic situation, but it's a tragedy of these homeowners making because they didn't read the covenants and they didn't know that the HOAs could, could essentially right. do it's this. caveat enter, buyer beware. Let's yeah. take a look at your first story, and it's about someone who essentially had their water turned off, something as important as water mm -hmm. turned off because of a battle with their HOA. Let's take a look. 
We got up to get ready to go to work. 31 days. We got ready to take a shower and we had no water. That's how long Beth Williams lived in her Dallas home without water. I had to get humiliated and ask people to borrow showers, to borrow a washing machine, to wash my clothes. Surviving only on store-bought gallons and a water dispenser that was gifted to her. I would allow myself two gallons of water a day to to bathe off and to brush my teeth. And like I said, the rest, I just did without. This is my water meter. And the Paulding County Water Department did not turn Williams' water off. Her HOA did, after she fell behind on her association payments. I went to pay my HOA dues and I was locked out of my portal. I called at that time and they told me that they had turned me over to collections and I would have to make my payments through them. Williams thought she owed the Cottage Cove HOA $713 in dues and $120 in late fees. But once they turned her over to collections, that amount grew. $2,300 was added in attorney fees, $1,500 in collection fees. Her overall balance, now over $4,000. Do you think you'll ever be able to pay that off? No, ma'am. If you're wondering how the HOA was allowed to turn off William's water in the first place, we have the same question. So we turn to the Cottage Cove Covenants, which state that the water distribution system in the community is private and shall be owned and maintained by the association as common property. And later, an amendment, which says if the owner does not pay their dues, the board may suspend voting rights, common property use rights, and association-provided services to the lot. The Cottage Cove Homeowners Association denied my request for an interview, but said it acted within its rights and obligations under the law and provided proper notice before action was taken. The association is empowered to impose and assess fines. Gray Brantley is an attorney who is not involved in this case, but is speaking as someone who's represented HOAs as well as property owners. If the covenants say that the HOA can shut off community-provided services or association-provided services, then yes, they can if the water is provided by the association. While William's story is tragic, Brantley says it's a tragedy of her own making. You are supposed to be reimbursing the association for your water usage, and if you don't, then your neighbors are bearing the burden of your water bill. At the same time, there's a human element, I think. Um, And I think that associations should have uh, some leeway to be able to help neighbors who are in particular uh, circumstances in need. When Williams was diagnosed with chronic kidney failure, she admits she fell behind on her bills. She just thought she'd be able to pay them off eventually. Instead, a lien has been placed on her house, which means if she tries to sell, the HOA will get a cut of the sale price to pay off her debt. It's just a never-ending assessments and fines and fees and interest to the point where you can't get them paid off. So she had her water turned off because of those HOA fees. Is that unusual where the HOA is also essentially the provider of the water or at least in this case, paying the water bill? So again, it totally depends on the community you're living in, right? And when I looked through the covenants in her particular situation, it did say that water was considered a um, common property association provided service. And so, yes, because she didn't pay those fees, they did have the ability to turn off her water, which I thought was really interesting is that they actually went on her property and turned off turned off the, the water meter, yeah. which when she first reached out to us, we thought, you know, is that illegal? Can they even do this? But it turns out 
It's in they, the covenants. They can. It's in the covenants. Yeah, a lot of times it's that fine print in the covenants that says that the HOA, the association can, or its agents, can enter the property for the purposes of enforcing the covenants or even doing an inspection. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's even behind a closed or locked gate. Uh, and, and sometimes there's notice requirements. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's the other thing is you can't go to sort of a central website and say, is this legal or is it not legal? If it's in the covenants, by and large, it's legal because it's a contract into which you entered as a homeowner. Exactly. Um, and And again, so many of these homeowners don't read the covenant, so they don't realize that. Um, but, you know, it, it sounds severe and it sounds like that's so crazy. How can they have the power to do this? But they can and, and they do. Yeah. I mean, we're not really saying that the HOAs in these stories have done anything wrong. What we're saying is that you need to be aware before you buy a home into what you're agreeing because that agreement is binding and it can have severe effects on not only your life. In this case, she had her water turned off, Mm -hmm. but also your pocketbook because you could end up having to pay steep fines and fees. And that's the other thing is this kind of becomes compounded. If you are late on a payment, then there's a late fee, then there can be a fine. And then on top of that, attorney's fees and then interest, correct? Right, exactly. And it just keeps adding up and snowballing and snowballing until you cannot get out from under it. And I even asked her, I said, do you think you'll ever be able to pay this off? And she said, no, ma'am. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking really. But at, once it gets to that point, um, the fees just keep building and mounting and, and there's not much that, that some of these people can do. And then all you can do at that point is hope to sell the house. And this is going to be essentially shaved off the top. Right. The HOA is a creditor like the bank at that point if there's a lien on the house and they get paid first or essentially at the same time as the bank. Right. And, and something else I thought was really interesting is uh, both women I talked to in in these uh, two separate stories, we just, you, we just watched the one in Paulding County and we're about to watch the one in Fulton County. They both said, had they have known the power these HOAs could wield, they would have never bought in those HOA communities. But I do think this is really interesting. I pulled some uh, data and statistics from the U.S. Census, and 82% of new builds are now in HOA neighborhoods. So the options are dwindling for well, and homeowners. That's, and that's really interesting, Rachel, because you'd say, why would that be the case? It's not as though the homeowners are collectively voting to create the HOA. The HOA is created by the developer and that it, those initial bylaws that govern the corporation and the covenants that govern the homeowners are really to protect the developer uh, until the whole property is developed out, the whole development, and then it's turned over to the homeowners to run as an association. But the real motivation here isn't the people buying into the neighborhood as much as it is the developers, right? Right, exactly, and and them having that safety beforehand. Um, and you kind of touched on it there, but I think it's also important that we that – we dig into and note a little bit that it's equally important to read the bylaws, which is basically making sure that you know what the board, the rules the board has to follow, and then you can equally see if the board is breaking its own rules. So Interesting. Just, just, so the board yeah. has to follow a set of rules, and those are different than the covenants. They're the bylaws. Correct. And you can find those on file with the Georgia Secretary of State, right? Exactly. You can fi- you can find that on file, or you could just request it from your from your HOA. And they have to give it to you, and technically. They have to, yep, they have to give yeah. it to you. Very interesting. Let's watch the second story, because this one really hits home. The other one was about you know, a sort of necessary utility, water. Mm-hmm. But in this case, we're talking about something far more emotional, uh, the loss of a family member and then trying to memorialize that loss uh, in a way. Set up the story first and then let's take a look. Right. Um, so in, in this case, uh, 
basically this this woman, her daughter was in a severe car crash. Um, she did survive, but she has catastrophic brain injury. She can't walk or talk. And doctors prescribed her horticultural therapy. So her mom didn't think twice about installing this therapeutic rock garden in her front yard. But what you'll learn as you watch this story is she should have thought twice. Yeah, pardon me for uh, conflating those two. But yes, yeah, so the traumatic brain injury and then this garden. Let's take a look at the story and we'll talk about it on the back end. It was a sunny Friday afternoon when her phone rang and her world stopped. And to get a call and just to see the card, something I'll definitely never, never forget. Valerie Gant's 19-year-old daughter, Asia, was the victim of a hit-and-run in Columbus. When I arrived, they were using the jaws of life. The top of the car was cut out and they were taking her. They told me I had to meet them at the hospital. The crash was eight years ago, but for Valerie, the wounds are still fresh. Asia suffered a traumatic brain injury. She can't walk or talk. And most of her time is now spent at doctor's appointments or at home, where Valerie tries her best to make her daughter feel comfortable and calm. It'll never be, uh, you know, normal. It's still some days, um, even though it's been a few years, that I think, oh my God, what just happened? After a doctor prescribed horticultural therapy, Valerie did not think twice about installing a rock garden with a water feature in her front yard. But she should have. The Walden Park Community Association sent Valerie a cease and desist notice, telling her that she violated the HOA covenant, adding that the garden was installed without prior written approval. When Valerie did not comply with demands to remove the garden, the HOA's attorney told her she would be fined $25 a day for the unauthorized installation of the water feature and palm trees. That was a little over two years ago. You know, we're talking about planting trees and and flowers and doing something in my mind to beautify where we're staying. So it's not an eyesore. It's not about devaluing. It doesn't devalue anything. So what is this really about? Let's look at this. This is hurting people. Stories like Valerie's have caught the attention of Georgia Senator Donzella James, who's long advocated for HOA reform and oversight. And after our investigation, plans to reintroduce legislation this upcoming session. It's crazy, but it's the law and they get away with it. So we need to change the law so that it'll be a a fair law. She says her legislation will include establishing an ombudsman's office to handle HOA and homeowner disputes outside of the courtroom. An ombudsman is an official, usually appointed by the government, who investigates complaints and attempts to resolve them. According to the Community Association Institute, seven states currently have ombudsman's offices or similar programs, and two of them are Georgia's neighbors. And it it works in the courts. It works everywhere. It would work especially with HOAs. While the legislative session does not begin until January, Senator James already has two committee meetings scheduled to address these issues. As for Valerie Gant, she's hired an attorney and now she's waiting for a court date. After the Walden Park Community Association hit her with a $23,000 lawsuit. To me, that is crazy that I've had to assert energy towards that when, you know, my daughter needs my time. I just think it's total abuse of power and it's a situation that should not have happened. And the Walden Park Community Association denied our repeated requests for an interview. Interesting. So what are the big takeaways? I know we talked a little bit about what we should do, but if you were buying a house tomorrow, what is the first thing you would do? 
Believe it or not, I would ask if that house is in an HOA neighborhood, um, and then I would ask to review the covenants. And then I would really have to have a serious conversation, I think, with my husband and see if we wanted to, um, you know, live in that community and abide by those covenants because some of them really are right pretty serious. Because you're entering into that contract, as you mentioned. So the other thing is, you know, it's part of the due diligence is if you're getting a loan. Right. Um, the, the, uh, the bank will contact before closing will always contact, and it should be done earlier than that, also your real estate agent, but even before closing, they're going to contact the HOA too and make sure that the seller's account is in good standing and they're also going to want to make sure a copy of the covenants has been provided. I mean, there's almost no circumstances where you would move into an HOA where you wouldn't see the covenants in advance, right? Right, exactly. Um, I think it's just one of those things that a lot of people don't read it or they ha- you know, you're buying a home, um, you get so much paperwork that you're kind of over it at that point. Well, and you point. want the house, too. And you, and you want the house. Right? I mean, you're, you're like, okay, so we can't have a trampoline, and the kid's like a trampoline, but we want the house. Right. But and then once you live there, you got to tell the kids, sorry, we can't have a trampoline, it's in the covenants. Right, there you go. So maybe it could, you could use it as an excuse to your advantage in, in, in that regard. <laughs> Didn't think of um, that. That's a good point. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's important just to weigh the pros and cons uh, and make sure you're okay with living in this community and abiding by those rules. So one last question, and a lot of people don't really understand how this works, but even though there's sometimes a management company, the management company reports to the board, and the board is almost always made up of residents of that HOA, right? So that you technically... If you don't like the HOA, you can run to replace it, couldn't you? Yeah, you absolutely could. And it's, it's typically your neighbors. And in um, part one of our story, uh, the attorney touched on just that, that, you know, I think these, while, uh, of course, these HOAs do have the power to do, uh, you know, whatever they want relating to the covenants, um, he says, I think there's a human element here. And sometimes they need to think this is my neighbor. You know, maybe we should help our neighbors um, instead of putting a lien on their homes. But uh, yeah, so it, it can totally depend on your, the board at the time. The boards also change. Like they, right. you know, somebody might leave, somebody else might come in. So you might have a board that um, is coming after you and then the next board might not. So yeah, or like you said, you can run for the board yourself. Uh, but yeah, typically mm-hmm. these boards are made up of your neighbors in your community. And you don't need to be a lawyer to read the covenants and bylaws. There might be a clause in there that says if a certain number of homeowners sign a petition, or, or agree to vote, you can force a meeting or you can fo- force a rules change if you don't like one of the rules. You just have to get the neighbors to agree upon it in some cases. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rachel, for shedding some light on this. I know you've received a lot of emails <laughs> because of this story, because this affects a lot of people. And uh, b- please do send us those emails and uh, keep us in- informed, uh, those of you who are watching this, both in the Atlanta metro area and abroad. And what we'll do is we'll stay on this story. You've been watching Behind the Investigation. I'm Chief Investigator Brendan Keefe with investigative reporter Rachel Polanski.